There we go. It's weird what happens when you actually turn it on. It's cool. Um, this is going to be a lot easier if you guys laugh at my jokes, just early and often. Anyway, that's a good start. Let's keep that, let's keep that going. Um, thank you, Kevin, for that. Where'd, where'd Kevin go? <laughs> that was a powerful introduction. Um, the reality, yeah, you did frame it up. The reality is we're on our way over here. Um, I was singing as I often do on flights. No, I've never sang on a flight before, but I, I was, we were about to get off the, uh, the plane and, um, and I was just basically humming something and the stewardess said, is that you singing? And I said, yeah. She goes, keep it going. So I told Kevin that and then I called my wife and said, I'm quitting my job. I'm becoming a singer. <laughs> Feels like an overreaction, but I thought with rerouting, I'm just open for whatever right now. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to share, probably more than speak, um, when we talk about rerouting, and we kind of landed on this, this theme, um, a couple things came to mind. John did a good job laying out sort of the idea of navigation, you know, on your, on your phone or in your car. Um, that's one way I really know God loves me is that was invented because I am horrible. I mean horrible at directions. But what, the way that I defined uh, rerouting was sort of into three pieces and it starts with destination. Um, we set out for a determined endpoint when we're doing anything. We say, we are going here, Right? Um, I think that's true of just our natural as we're walking around or as we're getting on an airplane. Um, when, we when we determine uh, where we are headed, we also have prescribed how we're going to get there. So we make a couple decisions that, hey, this is where we're headed, but we also make some assumptions of how we're going to get there, right? So God calls us, and then we sort of fill in the blanks between now in the next 50 years, and so we're sort of surprised when something looks different from how we've prescribed that. But our destination doesn't change. The method in which we reach that point does. Dennis cited this last night, but Proverbs 16:9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord established their steps. Several years ago, uh, probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, the guys from California were headed out to this uh, conference, and we left John Wayne Airport, and you can't, Orange County, as you know, and I should say this too, you know, it's easy to feel a little inadequate around here, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but one is, you know, John's talking about Rwanda, I heard the word Albania, Tasmania, I think I heard last night, there's some countries I'm not sure were real that got cited last night. <laughs> I try not to leave Orange County as best I can. But I did, before I got up here, I was joking around with Dave and Sam and that there's uh, 220 languages spoken in California. So a fun game for you to do at dinner tonight is I want to see if you can name 20 languages. And there's 200 more of those in California. So at some point I'll probably meet someone from Albania, Tasmania, but the reality is that when we were leaving uh, John Wayne several years ago in Orange County, 
you can't, the, the first flight's out at 7 o'clock. And when you leave, they have the, the plane takes off and it dips over Newport Beach because Newport Beach doesn't want to be bothered at 7 in the morning. You understand? Newport Beach is, they deserve to sleep in. They've earned it. And uh, so our flight was like, you know, 10 minutes late. And I remember us being in line and one of the guys that's not here, Ryan Kerming, said, we better check in all the way through. And we were teasing him because he's a little bit, um, he can be a little uptight, to be honest with you. And he's, uh, he's not here, so I can say that. But he's a little uptight. And so we're like, relax, Ryan. This is not a big deal. Just relax. Like, we felt like we were ministering to Ryan at this point. And uh, he's like, okay, whatever. Um, and so we, we flew. And um, because our flight was a few minutes late, we missed our next connection flight. Um, which had, had we been checked in all the way through, I don't know that we would have. But we landed in, I want to say it was, uh, I don't know, do you guys remember where the connection city? I think it was like Dallas. So we're scrambling on how to get here. Now, coming to ACM never changed. That was always the destination we were coming to Columbus, right? Um, we just figured we'd get on the plane and then connect in Dallas and land in Columbus. Well, um, we were rerouted to Cleveland, which isn't that close to here. <laughs> um, and, and so we're, you know, we're entrepreneurial spirit. We thought, what an opportunity. We can absolutely go after the airline to see how many possible food tickets we can gather in this process and make this fun. And we actually decided as a group, let's make this fun. Let's just see how many food tickets we can get at the airport because our flight was missed. I don't know if any of this is spiritual yet, but it's going to get there, I think. Um, so we landed in Cleveland and had a steak dinner at the airport. <laughs> and then walked into the rental car place. And we tried to get like a Coupe de Ville. We tried to talk them into that. We couldn't get that. But we got a big sedan. And we drove from Cleveland to here and got here about midnight. And uh, I think we went and got a beer. And then came, <laughs> came to the conference. But the, the thing that stuck out in that process was um, so much of being successfully rerouted is attitude. It's really, it's, it's maybe oversimplifying it, but having a good attitude when you're rerouted changes the way that reroute feels. Sometimes it just, we get in a situation where you know, God changes our plans and our attitude gets so bad it sort of spoils it. But I would venture to say that the stories you tell are all about being rerouted. Nobody here is telling any stories about when you went from A to B. Nobody's going to repeat those stories. It's all about, yeah, I was supposed to do this, and then this happened. Those are the good stories, right? So rerouting is inevitable. Attitude is a decision. Having a good attitude and being willing to trust the Lord in the midst of the reroute can actually be fun. I didn't plan on having a steak dinner in Cleveland that night, but I did. And it was a pretty average steak, as I recall. But we had, it was a lot of fun. And you know what I'm doing? I'm telling you the story of how I went to Cleveland. I had no plans of going to Cleveland, right? But here I am sharing in front of all of you how based on a bad decision and Santa Ana led us to a steak dinner in Cleveland. It's actually the title of my book that you can pick up a copy back there. It's called Steak Dinners in Cleveland. Short stories. 
Um, nobody goes and sees movies that are from A to B. We want cliffhangers, right? That's what makes life fun. Our destination was always Columbus. So destination, the second piece to me is the journey. Um, I was asked to speak at BYU. Has anybody else spoken at BYU? <laughs> All right. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, I don't like it. Anyway, um, the, so BYU has a landscape management department, and they asked me to speak. And I have four kids, and um, sort of fit the profile um, for someone that would speak at BYU. So <laughs> I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you probably want to call BYU and make sure they know you're not Mormon because I felt like that wouldn't be right. And um, so I did. I called them. I said, hey, I just really appreciate the opportunity. And I, I, you know, I know the ticket's already booked, um, but I just want to be clear. Like, I'm not Mormon. Um, is that okay? And they, they were gracious enough to say, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. Like, you come on. And, and I was like, okay. So I said, what do you want me to talk about? Because I'm pretty sure these students could care less how I tell them how to mow grass or something. Like, nobody cares. And I, because I wouldn't care if I was sitting in the class. I'd say, oh, my gosh, another one of these guys. And so I said, they took me into, like, some places that I wasn't really allowed to go if I was not invited in by the right people. I mean, I learned, I learned a lot. Felt a little bit like a recruiting trip. But um, so I said, what should I say? I mean, at lunch, what did I, with this guy, I said, is it, is it okay? Here's what I was going to do. I was just going to tell my story because I think that would be more interesting to the students than me telling them like how to mow a lawn or something. And he said, he goes, uh, you know what? I'm just going to, you do whatever you want. In fact, in the middle of whatever you're going to talk about, if you want to stop and just tell some sidebar story, um, you feel free to do that. And I was like, this guy has no idea who he's talking to. <laughs> Abuse leads to restriction. So, and so I, you know, I got up in, uh, in this department, and there's whatever probably a hundred students or something. In the, um, and first of all, they have a guy come up and pray before class. His name was Matthew. And uh, so that kind of took me back. Like I was like, okay. So he prayed for me in my talk. And, um, and so I brought, I did three slides. I did, a, I did a picture of my family. I did our logo because I didn't need to do a little PR, to be honest with you. So I did the uh, logo and then I said what we do. So... And I just told him, I said, um, I want to tell you about my journey because uh, that's really what's important. I think that is what will encourage you. And I was talking with someone last night that one of the things, I'm 41 now, so I don't really cl classify as like a younger guy probably anymore, but one of the things that ACM has been so important for me over the years is that my vision has gotten bigger being here. And, and to the older guys, anybody older than 41, don't miss an opportunity to encourage someone younger than you. Don't, don't miss an opportunity to say that you can do more. Uh, don't miss an opportunity to share what's God done. Because I'm telling you, 
guys younger than you are listening and they're watching and it's easy to discredit like, oh, they've heard my story, but they haven't heard your story. So I start in my presentation. I said, uh, you know, Matt Davenport. Um, and I said, I grew up in Southern California. This is my, you know, uh, it's my family. These are my four kids. It's my wife. And they're on the, you know, on the screen. And I said, you know, you can't do anything without community. It's important that community is really is the basis. This is my family. And, um, and so, and I took them on this, this, this journey. I said, I grew up in Southern California. My dad's a pastor. Um, and I'm an elder in the church. And I knew my audience for sure. But the, so I was, I talked, you know, saying, and I go and, and uh, I grew up and I went to a private high school and then had an opportunity to um, play football at uh, University of Wisconsin where, you know, I was a kicker. And I said, you know that no kid has ever dreamed of being a kicker. It's never happened. In order to be a kicker, you have to be rerouted. It's true. No kid has ever in the history of the world at five years old said, I want to be a kicker. It just sort of, you just sort of get narrowed through the years to say, this is all I can do. So I said, I, I go, I, you know, I ended up being a kicker and I had, a, I was a political science major. You know why? Because I was going to law school. Because that seemed like an admirable job at the time. I don't know why. Um, my view has since changed on that. But I, uh, so that seemed like a legit thing to do. I'm a political science major. It's a good school. I interned at a law firm. Um, I said, but before that, I had an opportunity to sign with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so that was, yeah, so maybe I'll do that before law school. So I'm really sounding like a big deal at this point, you know, and I said, uh, um, and then I got cut, and then sort of decided I didn't really want to do law school anymore, so I took a job in the mall. Um, So my story starts crashing early. (laughs) It was like some, like a high watermark for like 30 seconds. And I worked at Z Gallery, which I thought would be cool because there was some art in there, and I kind of liked art, and, uh, and I was training. I was still trying out and stuff. And so I said, and then I had a guy in our church say, you know, would you like to come work at my, this landscape company? And I told him, there's nothing I can think of that I would like to do less than do that. There's not one thing I can think of that I would want to do less than work at your landscape company. And then I went back to the mall, and the fluorescent lights bled into my soul, and I said, that landscape company actually sounds sort of interesting. So I called him, I said, and I took a job, and I go, now, and I kept saying this to the students, I'm still at BYU, so I said, you see how this is all headed? You see how this is going towards law school? You see how this is going towards the NFL? You see how this is, where this is going, right? I said, so I, I, and I kept pausing in the middle of this thing to, without using the word rerouting, to to show this winding path. Um, and I said, and then after, you know, I was in this, I got married and, and in a landscape company for nine years. Um, I liked the job most of the time, but it just seemed like a good job. And then I liked the people we worked with, with the Hispanic community. Um, I said, and then I decided to buy that company. I said, now, and, I, and for you all, now I'm talking to you, but like, I never wanted to be in landscape let alone own a landscape company. I didn't want to be a kicker. Um, In fact, most of the good things in my whole life, I didn't want to do. 
the very stories I'm telling you are all based in things I didn't want to do. So that I wasn't able to, that company fell apart. I wasn't able to buy the landscape company. And now I'm talking back to the students. Um, I said, and I, so I decided to start my own consulting company. And it was cool because in the middle of this talk to these students, I said, you know, and this is where I took liberty with what the guy told me to do. But I said, you know, the one advice I'd give you if you're a younger person, you want to start a company and you're married because a lot of these students are married. I said, make sure your wife's on board. And I don't mean like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> I mean, like, I, this is what I said to my wife. I have a really good feeling this isn't going to work. And there's a good chance we're going to live under a bridge. <laughs> Dead, those were my two things. I, and she goes, you know what? Go for it. I said, the reason why that's important is because if I, if I do really well, I'm going to be like, I told you, if she wasn't on board. And if I really don't do well, she's going to say, I told you. Right? So you have to go out together. But you could see these students going, connecting, going, okay. Um, and so rerouting, right? I started this consulting company 10 years ago. Um, wasn't glamorous. Still not all that glamorous. Um, worked out of my garage for five years. There's a lot of funny stories that happened in there. A lot of anger issues. Probably got worked out. Maybe worked in, too. There was some stuff that was legit. Um, it's like 200 degrees in there. I had a voting booth around my desk that Mike Spinello gave me. One day, I decided to remodel with an X-Acto knife and just put a window in. That was, that's kind of where I was at. But my destination was never landscape. My destination was never football. My destination was never any of this stuff. It's simply following the Lord. Jesus' journey, I was reading, you know, in John started in Bethlehem, as we know. I think his destination, he knew, right? I think Jesus knew where he was going. But he went to Bethlehem, or he was in Bethlehem, born, raised in Nazareth. Um, Cana is where he turned water into wine. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said, dear woman, why do you involve me? I just thought that was funny when I was rereading it. <laughs> But he said, my time has not yet come. That was the point. He said, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Timing is a big part of rerouting. Rerouting has nothing to do with circles and U-turns like John mentioned. It has a lot to do with his timing. And so the frustration and part of when we go on these journeys, I think, is our timing is not his timing. It wasn't his time. Then he went to Capernaum. He turned over money changers' tables. He said, get those out of here. How do you turn my father's house into a market? And then into Judea to teach Nicodemus. And on his way to Galilee, he passed through Samaria to meet the Samaritan woman. And many Samaritans believed after that. Then he went to Jerusalem, the healing at the pool. He asked the invalid, do you want to get well? Get up and pick up your mat and walk. Then the Sea of Galilee where he fed the 5,000. In John 7, 
Jesus again says, the, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that it does evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast because the right time has not yet come. Then he went to the Mount of Olives. And this is all out of John. Pharisees are ready to stone the woman who was an adulteress. Jesus drew in the sand as they spoke and told them that he who is without sin should cast the first stone. If you look at a map of Jesus' travels, it's not a straight line. There's a lot that happens in the rerouting. And he crosses the Jordan towards towards Bethany. Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem. That's where where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Jesus was in, he was two miles. You know, when, when Lazarus was dying, he was only two miles away. But the timing wasn't right. Jesus let Lazarus lay dead four days before his arrival. Then he went to Ephraim. Jesus withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples and to Bethany six days before the Passover. Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I always think that's the biggest one-upper story in the Bible. I really don't care what Jesus has done for you. If you go to someone's house and Lazarus was there, I got to feel like he was just like, that's like the ultimate one-upper. Just like, how's it going? (laughs) Yeah, he raised me from the dead. I don't know what happened with you guys. Like some more bread? Like just. That story always makes me laugh. I don't know why. It says like Lazarus was kind of lounging too. I feel like he had some swagger after that. Like, if your confidence lows at that point, you know, I mean, geez. As for Mary, uh, poured the nard, an expensive perfume. Uh, she poured it on his feet and wiped his feet with hair. Um, then he went to Jerusalem, a triumphal entry. He rode in on a, don- a donkey while people waved palm fronds, shouting Hosanna. Then across the Kidron Valley to an olive grove, where Judas brought a detachment of soldiers to arrest Jesus. Peter cut off Malchus's ear here. And then Golgotha. Jesus carries his cross up to the place of the skull where he dies on the cross. Then to the empty tomb. Jesus' burial clothes are neatly laid where he, used to, where he used to be. Then he appears to the disciples in a place where the doors were locked. Then he appears to Thomas. Then at the Sea of Tiberias where Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side. Peter, do you love me? Peter and a few of the other disciples caught 153 fish that day. This is also where the rumor started that John, whom he loved, would never die. The reason I picked the book John for this talk was because John was the son of Zebedee, or what Jesus called him, the son of thunder. That's who John was. That's where he started. At the Last Supper, he's got his head on his chest. 
What happened to John? I think he got rerouted. John is the one referred to that Jesus uh, loved several times. He's also referred to the Son of Thunder along with his brother on several occasions. Legend has it that John died on the island of Patmos after writing Revelations. Do you think John, as a boy, said, you know what I'd like to do? I've got dreams and aspirations. I think I'll write a book, and I'll call it Revelations. But I want to do it on Patmos. It's a beautiful place if you can get there in the spring. I don't know where my last page went. All right, so the last thing I was going to say is, uh, and Mark's going to clean all this up for me, I think. So the last part I was going to say is, and you know, in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Who here has ever seen a straight vine? Anybody ever seen a straight vine? Or just goes straight? Anybody? No. Vines do what vines want to do. So if you're going to abide in the vine, you're along for the ride. And vines will go up, over, through, under, whatever it takes to spread. So if we're going to abide in the vine, if you, when you walk around outside, you'll see you know, ivy on the wall or whatever the case is. Look at it. You'll find a brick that was too high, so the vine went around it, and the branches covered it. You'll find, it, you'll find vines disrupting foundations, breaking walls. Um, you'll find vines that are just impossible to get rid of, because vines do what vines want to do. And if you're abiding in the vine, that means you're doing what the vine wants to do. And that vine is going to take you places that you have no intention going. Because you're part of the vine that's doing what the vine wants to do. Does that make sense? To think that we're attached to a vine and then we're setting a goal as to how we're going to get there is so ridiculous. I'm rebuking myself right now. Don't take it. But think of that. We're, we're abiding in the vine. That's what we signed up for. That was the destination. And now we're holding on to this vine like a bronco, you know. And he is just going up and around. He's taking you to foreign countries. He's taking me to BYU. He's taking me to my garage. Because he's the vine. I'm a branch on that vine. And it's not my job to correct the vine, because the vine does what the vine wants to do. So rerouting, you know, in closing, I would just say, I, th- I feel like, for me, when I was preparing for this, it wasn't of me, like, thinking on this theme as to where I'm going, as to, but rather of where I am right now. It's almost an acknowledgement um, that the route is just going to be super curvy. 
And then we're setting ourselves up for bad attitudes by anticipating other than assuming we're going to go up, around, under. And then we're surprised when it happens. But yet you signed up to abide in the vine. So the attitude part's important. But I do want to I do want to say is that I encourage young guys some of the problems out there. I said this in church too, but are really opportunities. There are so many opportunities of people hurting that I feel like this group of this group of men is already doing amazing things, but I just want to encourage you all to continue abiding in the vine. And I look forward to hearing the stories of what that looks like over the years because those are the good ones. So, amen.